This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am your host, Alex Fitton, and I am thrilled to be bringing you episodes all season long on how the Enneagram influences our adoption journey. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Adoptive Mom, and please do. I would love to follow along with you. Y'all, we only have two numbers left on our series, and that's insane. Today, we get to talk about the first number in the gut triad and the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram for women, eight, the challenger. And you guys, I am so super psyched to tell you that our returning guest today is the one and only Olympic gold medalist, Wheaties Box alumni, and incredibly awesome human being all around, Laura Wilkinson. If you want to listen to Laura's complete adoption story on the Adoptive Mom Podcast, you can check out episode 68. But today we're talking all about being an Enneagram 8 on this incredibly crazy adoption ride that we're all on as adoptive moms. Before we go chat with Laura, though, let's do an overview of Enneagram 8s. All right, so Enneagram 8s are called the challengers. They are motivated by the desire to protect themselves and their loved ones at all costs. They also feel a strong pull to remain in control of their own lives and their own trajectories. And this makes their basic fear being controlled by others or to be hurt by others. 8s are the best Enneagram comparison to the D on the DISC personality test or the choleric temperament. They are powerful, dominant, decisive, and confrontational. They are the highest energy number on the Enneagram, and they get much of this energy from confrontation. They are quick thinking, and they take a direct approach to almost everything, and they really appreciate it when others take a direct approach with them as well. They are less relational and more resourceful than other numbers on the Enneagram, which gives them a unique perspective of seeing things logically and being motivated to do something about it. Eights are the first number in the gut or doing triad. Their primary motivator is doing or acting on their gut reaction, and that motivator is supported by thinking, while their feeling motivator is repressed, and this puts them in the aggressive stance with sevens and threes. Eights externalize their primary motivator, doing, and this means that they are quick on their feet and in their minds, and they can react to situations quickly and efficiently and do something to support or change it without much effort at all. Eights can wing to seven and to nine. Eights with a seven wing are called the Mavericks. They can be fun and upbeat and are more comfortable with confrontation than nine wings. They can also conform to any situation to get the job done and to see their will be met. And for this reason, they can sometimes mistype as threes. Eight wing nines are called the Bears. They are generally more gentle in their approach and less confrontational, but they get that bear name because they save those traits for situations that really need them. Let's talk about our three subtypes of eight. Self-preservation eights are known for being more angry and aggressive. They will stop at almost nothing to see their will be done. They see the deficits in their lives and they use their self-determination and natural command of the room to get their needs met. 
Social eights seek to size up and categorize other people so that they can understand them better and know what they're working with. They tend to see things as more black and white in order to be quick and decisive in their determination of who someone is to them. Sexual eights tend to fixate their controlling nature on one or very few people. They tend to be more suspicious and fear-based than other subtypes. In stress, eights go to five, the investigator. They will become more trapped in their own minds and may not see their ideas and projects through. They may become more relational in a cynical kind of way and see the needs of others as hindrances to their well-being. In security, however, eights go to two, the helper. They will take their domineering and doing force and use it for the betterment of others. They will become more relational in a healthy way and see the needs of others as problems that they can help solve using their unique skill set of decisiveness and implementation. Okay, so that's a quick overview of our Enneagram 8 friends, and I am so excited to jump in with Laura. But first, I want to remind you of how insanely helpful it is to podcasters when you take a quick second to rate and review the show. It shows podcast networks that people are interested in your show and therefore it needs to be recommended to more people. And that is a very good thing for shows like the Adopted Mom podcast. One of my favorite recent reviews came from Echo Mercy who said, this podcast is life for any adoptive mom. I am so glad I found it. I appreciate Alex and the work she puts into the podcast to share relevant information so adoptive moms know that they are not alone. It's the best. So thank you so much, Echo Grace, for those kind words. I hope you know that it brings me life and that those words are encouraging in so many different ways. All right, friends, let's go talk to Laura Wilkinson. All right. Welcome back to the show, Laura Wilkinson. I'm so excited to have you back. How's it going? Uh, it's good. Thanks for having me back, Alex. Absolutely. Um, and I mentioned before we started recording, but I am so excited to talk to you about being an Enneagram 8 because female Enneagram 8s are so, like, I don't even know that they're rare. I just feel like they're such they're so poorly represented. Um, I think society tries to, like, beat the ambition out of you guys, and that's sucks. So I'm so excited to talk about it. So do you think there maybe are secretly more eights? They just don't realize it. Here's the deal. This is my soapbox. Mm. So you've, you've gotten me started. Christian women have been taught that they're supposed to be twos, the helpers. Mm. And so there are so many other types of Enneagram number, you know, Enneagram women. And I think that for so many of us, we test as twos because we answer how we feel like we're supposed to answer. Mm. And so I think that there are, but eights go to two. So I know you tested as a two at first, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it was because I was like creating a course at the time. And so my mind was on teaching people and I guess a lot of teachers register that way. So yeah, yeah it was kind of, cause I, I kept going, I am, I, I do not fit this number. I don't know why I'm showing up as a two. This is so not me. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm the one that's mean when people like my friends are like, Oh yeah, I think I'm a two. I'm like, you're not a two. I promise you. <laughs> and then I'm mean and that's bad. I'm not supposed to do that, but eh. what are you going to do? Um, okay. So take a minute and just remind us of who you are and what you do. So I am the crazy person who does lots of flips off of a three-story building. Uh, it's called platform diving. Uh, I've been to three Olympics. I'm now a mom of four to uh, via adoption from China and Ethiopia. And yeah, we're one happy, crazy mess over here. <laughs> yeah. You guys like, it's really fun. If you guys follow her on social media, which you should, uh, 
I think you even posted today of like you guys doing jumps and your kids doing them with you and they go to all your trainings and stuff, which is so fun. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, and this is like this whole COVID lockdown, like up and down we've had has been a real struggle for me. Cause I, you know, and we'll get to this, but controlling is really something that I have struggles with and especially around my, my training. And when I had to be training at home and do like flips at home, it was driving me crazy that my kids were all up in my business and I was trying to be so serious and focused. And I had to just take a second and be like, all right, the Olympics aren't tomorrow. They're not even this year. I have nothing. <laughs> like I have to let my kids be part of this. And it's opened up this kind of whole new thing where I'm like, it's okay if they do this with me, you know, and they can, follow behind. I can still do it to the best of my ability. And you know what? It makes it so much more fun. I'm like, why didn't I do this like four years ago? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you took a break, right? Like to do, do the mom thing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, like it's a, like it's a, just a couple of year commitment to be a mom or something, but <laughs> oh, yeah, just, just a little vacation there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you did step away from the Olympics for a little bit and then now you're back in it. And it, yeah, it sounds like everyone gets to participate as crazy as that might make you. Yeah. It's been good though. Cause you know, they get to understand the process now and they get to see like, not just mommy goes away and does stuff, but like they get to see how hard it is. And sometimes at bedtime when they're out there in their pajamas, like the video I posted, like it's after their bedtime and I'm just now getting to like my plyometric workout for the day, you know, cause I wanted to spend time with them first. And so, you know, then they wanted to spend time with me doing this. So it's, it's been cool. And hopefully they're, they're learning or at least taking stock in their brains so that they'll recognize the lessons later. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. So yeah, we, you know, last time when we did our fun questions, we learned that you still have your Olympic outfits, which is fun. And also you very quickly told, when I asked what uh, Hogwarts house you were in, you were like, obviously Gryffindor, yeah. which now that I know you're an eight, I'm like, oh yeah, that adds up. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and my daughter is also upset. My oldest daughter is also obsessed with Harry Potter and she got a sorting hat one year and she sorted all of us into Gryffindor, except for Zoe was Ravenclaw because she likes Ravenclaw. So, I mean, it's just, you know, that's the way it is. I'm a Ravenclaw. So me and Zoe, there you go. <laughs> Two peas. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I want to jump in to some Enneagram talk. And like we said at the beginning and just now and everything, you are an Enneagram eight. So tell us like, Maybe not the the textbook version of what an Enneagram eight is, but what does that mean for you? How do how do you feel like your personality interacts with that core motivation of being a challenger? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess it's kind of just this, and there's a self reliance to it. I think just kind of like, all right, I, I love a chat. Like I, I rise to challenges when there's something like you can't do this, or there's something in my way. It's like all right, game on. Like challenge accepted. Like that's just totally the way I operate, and and. It's weird because I can be very self-conscious, but when it's like doing a task or doing a skill, I'm really overly self-confident, probably more those more so than I should be. And so there's the weird strength in that. And and there's a lot of like the the physical kind of toughness. Like I don't always recognize when I'm injured or I'm hurt. Um, I tend to everybody tells me I have this high pain tolerance, all my doctors, all that. And I, you know, and it's not that I don't feel pain, I just have learned to work through it. And so I, I totally get that. But yet emotionally, sometimes the pain is is a lot faster and a lot quicker mm. to surface. You know, and that's that's the stuff that makes me cry. Physical pain, like whatever. But if I'm frustrated, ooh, tears come real fast. So it's it's interesting. That that's the stuff that kind of really resonates with me, I think. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I feel that too. You and I are both, you're an eight. I'm a one. We're both in the anger triad. So we're both like doing, you know, uh, doing focus. So we kind of experience emotion through doing and through like through our felt experience and less what's happening in our body. So that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I think especially like control can be such a big deal for us in that eight, nine, one, you know, top doing triad. Um, where we feel like if we can't fix a situation, then we just kind of like self-destruct. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's so true. much fun. <laughs> um, okay. So going back to your adoption story, you know, you've adopted twice in two different ways. Um, not in two different ways, but in two different, you know, times, countries, and whatnot. They were very different ways. So that's okay. You can say it like that. It was a very different process. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So how do you think that you being an eight, you being a challenger, you being super, you know, just self-confident and, um, uh, just that, that drive, how did that influence your adoption journey? Well, I think the first time around, um, you know, we went through China and it was pretty straightforward. It was just going to be a long process. And, and, you know, I just like walked right into it, like, all right, let's do this. And my husband's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I have all these questions. What about this? I'm not sure about this. I'm really uncomfortable with this. And I'm like, well, let's just, dive on in and then we'll figure it out along the way. And, and he just was super uncomfortable with that because we have very different personalities. So um, there's that side. And then in our second adoption, we had all kinds of issues going through Ethiopia. It was like a five-year process. The prime minister had shut down international adoption at one point. So which shut down all our agencies, we had to switch, then we were blackmailed. Like there was all these things going on. And like that fighter in me, like just came out and it was like, uh, uh-uh. like you will not take my baby from me. And we went to Ethiopia without court dates to like talk to the judge and to like show that someone was lying and not turning in paperwork. And you don't we, like, we, nobody was doing anything for us. So we just went there and like bullheadedly, like walked into it and said, we're going to fix this. And, you know, and it, and it helped, like it got things moving, you know? And, and so that, that side has been and good. And it's, I don't know. It's weird that like, you kind of, I kind of like that saying, what is it like? Sometimes you don't know how strong you are until you have no choice, but to be strong. And that's yeah. like very much what I felt in that second process is like, I have no idea what I'm doing or how I'm going to do it, but that is my daughter and I will fight for her. And I, if I have to stay in your office all day, every day until you do something, that's what I'm going to do. And, um, that's, yeah, that's kind of really, I feel like when it came to light a lot was through that process. I love that though. Like, I think that that's that mama bear instinct that we all have, but I think that sometimes some of us have better tools for that. And you clearly have amazing tools for that. Um, I mean, it worked out well. well it was, done. it was funny. Cause, cause in that, in that same span of time, we had gotten connected with several other families with kids in the same orphanage and we were all stuck. Like we were all having issues because it was the same people that we were dealing with. And all of these, and they're all, so many of them were sweet Christian ladies too. Um, and so many of them were like, we just need to pray and we just need to let God move. And I was like, uh, uh-uh. like this is war. Like I was totally on a different, and I was like, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm totally in the wrong. Maybe I'm supposed to be patient, but I was just like, no, I need to fight, you know? And, and after we went over and did all that, then it was like, all right, your work is done. Now you have to wait, you know? And so it was kind of funny. Cause I was sitting there going, am I, am I in the wrong? Am I not but then I was like, well, I don't care. Like if I'm the only one that's going to get my kid out, like we got to do something, you know? Yeah. So you're I like, God has given us more, a brain. <laughs> like maybe they were more on the twos and they're like, send the eight in. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Oh my gosh. I love it. I, okay. I, that's so funny because yeah, it's, but 
it, it is. It's like some people are like, let's take a really passive approach to this. Let's pray about it, which is great. We need those people. And then there's other people that are doers that are like, um, the ones who are okay with confrontation. <laughs> exactly. We're going to get into that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So stateside, we're all here. How does it influence your parenting style? Ooh, um, I mean, you know, parenting just shows you how bad you are at everything um, in general. And I think, you know, like control, like I've already mentioned, like control is an issue of mine. Like I've always like wanted control over what I'm doing and very much want things to go my way and kids just don't operate that way. And so trying to find this balance of like, okay, am I disciplining them because they're doing something wrong or because they're not doing it the way I want them to do it? And that's hard for me, but it's, it's been really good that I have to really, really think about like how I'm approaching them when I get upset, like how I'm reacting. Am I reacting appropriately at the right times because of the right things? Um, but it, it's, you know, it's good because it's growing me in the process too. And recognizing that just because I want something a certain way, doesn't mean that's the way it has to be done. So it's a, you know, I've got to like, let go, take a deep breath and like, let go a lot of times and kind of analyze the situation first. And so I'm, I'm learning how to respond instead of react. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and what you just said has me intrigued. Cause I think that, you know, when we talk to eight women, a lot of them say that they struggle with that self-reflection side, that they, they're like, um, their vision of themselves or their vision of what they have to do resets every day. And so self-reflection takes practice. And it sounds like that's something that you are at least mastering, if not like have already, master to a degree. So maybe talk to us about that. Why, what led you to kind of overcome that struggle of like, it's a new day. Why would I think about the past? Um, that so many eight moms talk about, you know, and I want, I don't know if diving has a lot to do with it. And I'm, I'm maybe more introverted than some eights are, which it doesn't sound like it. Cause I'm very talkative when I'm like one-on-one with people, but if you put me in a room, I'm like the quiet one in the corner. Um, but I just, I do a lot of introverted type, like self-thinking and, and I've just always kind of been a loner that way. Like I'm, I'm okay sitting in the corner by myself and like hanging out and thinking through stuff. And, and with diving, I've had to do that a lot. And you have to kind of, you know, it, like I was just thinking about this this morning, actually, that I feel like diving is very much like sanctification in your life. Like in diving, I daily realize that all of my natural reactions and instincts in a dive are incorrect. And I have to learn how to make my body submit and do the things it needs to do, even though that's not how I feel and not, not what I want to do. That's actually going to make the dive better. And so it's like fighting my instincts in in the middle of the air and like a two second dive. And that's very much how, you know, like, like following God's word is too. It's like, we have to beat out our sinful nature and the choices that we want to make so that we can not just react, but respond correctly the way God wants us to. And so I think it's really just the sanctification process in general, whether it's like in your sport or your work or in your life, it's, it's really all kind of the same. Like just because we have an instinct doesn't mean it's always correct. You know, I mean, sometimes gut reactions, like, I don't want to say like, if your kid's sick and nobody else thinks he is, but you have a, you know, gut instinct that he is, he probably is, you know, but, but some of our, our reactions, like our sinful nature side, like that takes precedence sometimes we need to be able to kind of take a quick second and, and, and think through it if we can and, and respond instead of react. I, think, I mean, everything you just said is so incredibly wise because it's like, you know, as a mom, these things happen and, and that reaction versus responding can happen in a split second where everything's fine. And then all of a sudden you're screaming. Cause that's what I do. I mean, I'm in that mm-hmm. anger triad too. And it's like, that feels like all I can do in the moment. And you know, there are those times where I can stop myself mid dive, so to speak, and be like, I'm going to handle this the right way this one time. And then in five minutes, I'll handle it the wrong way again. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's like, 
man, that, that sanctification word, it's so true. It's like Mm -hmm. just the practice of reconditioning your mind to do it right or do it better. Um, that, that takes so much practice. Cause you think about it, like how long have you been doing this diving forever? (laughs) It's almost 30 years, 27 years. Yeah. Forever. (laughs) And like, it's still something that you have to daily, you know, die to, so to speak, uh, Mm -hmm. just that practice of in the air, making your body submit. Oh man. Like there's so much to unpack there, girl. But but it's also like, you don't learn unless you fail. Like, you know, cause we're, we're so, a lot of people are so programmed to like, I don't want to make a mistake. I have to do everything right. And it's like, you're going to fail. Like this is life. Get ready. You're going to fall on your face. But that's how you learn. Like little kids don't learn how to walk by just getting up and walking across the room. Like they fall down, they get up, they fall down, they get up, they take a step, they fall down, they get back up. Like it's a process, you know? And so failure is not the end. As long as you're learning from the failure and you're getting better each time and you're trying to make changes, that's what's important, you know? And that's, very much diving and very much life right there. <laughs> yeah, girl. My goodness. Like I said, so much to unpack there. I'm going to re-listen to it several times so that I can do that, but we can move <laughs> on to the next question. Um, how do you think that it, that being an eight, being a challenger mom and relates with your kids' personalities? You know, I don't know if you've gone through and considered what your kids' personality or Enneagram types might be, but how does it, uh, how do you struggle and win with your kids uh, based on being a challenger? Yeah, we're, um, we're all very different personalities. I think my oldest is a lot like me, which makes things really hard sometimes, but then I also understand where she's coming from. So as much as she's the one who like sometimes, you know, gets my nerves on high alert the quickest because she's just like me, you know, she can rub me the wrong way fast. I also understand where her mind is and where it's coming from. So I understand how to like react with her now where I, you know, at the beginning it was just frustrating to me. And now, I mean, she's nine now. So I've kind of like learned, okay, I get where she's coming from. This isn't just <laughs> whatever. Like I understand this, um, right. but my others, like especially my two, my two adopted babies, like they're so wildly different from me, and that's both fun and really hard. Because my my second one, she's so introverted and quiet and shy and sensitive, mm. but sometimes the sensitivity she cloaks and it's very manipulative. And so I'm trying to like cater to this sensitivity. And now I realize I've been manipulated for like three weeks or something, you know what I mean? So it's kind of learning the difference of when she actually needs me and when she's like playing me. So that's been really hard because like we said, like I physically, I'm like tough stuff and I'm stubborn and I'm hard and I can handle a lot, but emotionally like that I'm, yeah, I'm just like right at the surface. So when she like hits my emotional buttons and I'm like trying to be so there for her and then I find out she's like been walking all over me, you know, like that's a hard one. And and then our littlest is like way outgoing and way loud and way all these big personality. And I'm like, wow. Like that's a lot. You know, you're, you're a lot. Sometimes I just, sometimes mommy needs to be quiet for a few minutes and just be by myself. You can sit next to me, but please don't talk. (laughs) And so I feel so bad sometimes. It's like, let's, let's be loud and let's talk and let's sing. And then you be quiet and just snuggle with mommy. So we found that sometimes just having our time to like quietly snuggle. So that feeds both of us. She's getting time with mommy, but then I'm getting the quietness that I need at the same time. So I'm just, you know, it's it's always a process and kids are always changing. So we're, 
we're learning. And, and as much as I tell them, like, I know you need this, mommy needs this. So I have to sometimes explain to them, like, I'm not leaving you every day when I go to train, like mommy has this big goal and I want to do this thing. And I want you guys to be there and cheer me on. You know, I'm not just leaving because I don't want to be here with you. Like we have to talk through that stuff a lot. And it seems, you know, so silly as an adult, but like kids really only know what you tell them, you know? So we've, we've got to explain stuff to them. Like I can't just say, all right, we're getting, we're, we're done here. Let's shut off everything. And we're leaving. Like I have to give them a five minute warning. Cause they just can't process stuff that fast. They need like a, okay, the time is coming that maybe, maybe two minute warming. Okay. It's, we're getting really close. And then I'll tell them to shut stuff off. And they're like, okay, see you later. Like, bye, we're going. Cause they, they know it's coming, but you know, we didn't know that until the first time we shut everything off and everybody screamed bloody murder for 30 minutes, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's a process, but as much as I'm, I'm trying to learn them, I'm trying to explain to them what mommy's like too, so that they can maybe understand where I'm coming from. And that, that helps. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's, it's almost really great for us who are um, in the doing triad because talking is doing. And so it's easier for us to process through talking. And I think that that's a struggle that some of our, uh, you know, some of the withdrawn numbers struggle with because they, a struggle that they struggle with. I mean, <laughs> an issue that they struggle with because mm-hmm. they, they have to force themselves to externalize what's going on in their brain where that comes pretty naturally for us. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's like, I have a withdrawn child and it's so hard because sometimes I realize I'm talking him to death and he's like, he's just stopped. But, um, but I need that too. My daughter I'm convinced is a seven and she doesn't ever stop talking. And it, I'm I'm with you. Maybe that's what Dakai is too. Oh, the enthusiast. Yeah. That sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I do the same thing. I'm like, let's just sit here quietly and she'll make it not even 30 seconds. And she's like wiggling and moving. And I'm like, Oh my, remember a second ago when we discussed this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway. Um, okay. So maybe like, you don't have to name names, but whichever kid you struggle with the most, how do you think that that is influenced by you guys different personalities? Uh, I'm trying to, I don't know which one I actually struggle with the most. I think we, they're all on equal footing there. <laughs> um, I, don't, I mean, it's probably, you know, I think it's probably my oldest and I think it's twofold. I think it's a lot because we have the same personality, um, but yet she doesn't react like I react. You know what I mean? Um, But then also she's my oldest. And so she's the one I'm like learning on, you know what I mean? So I also don't really know what I'm doing with her as much as I feel like I know what I'm doing with her, you know, like your first one you're learning on. So I think, um, I think it's hard because she's the same as me, but she doesn't react the same as me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the struggle. I think maybe, maybe that's why I get so frustrated. Like I I think maybe I'm figuring this out as we're talking through it. Thank you. Thank you for this. This is like my, my psych lesson for the day. (laughs) Process week for the win. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's been interesting. I've asked um, almost every guest that same question and it's been interesting to hear the answers because it's almost always, um, the, the, the kid that's the most opposite of them, like for my fives, they both said that the kids with the most needs were their, mm. were their hardest or like for my six, you know, I know my mom is a six and she struggles the most with my sister. Who's not very careful. And mm. sixes are like all about security and safety. And so it's like the one that challenges your personality the most. So it's really interesting to hear 
that, uh, for you, it's the one that's most like you because it's like, it's like an uncurated version of yourself almost like you've had so many years of refinement and, uh, learning and hers is kind of just like the wild and raw version, which is interesting. That's a, well, I like that. The uncurated version. That's, (laughs) that's really, yeah. Well, and it's really funny because she just decided that she wants to be, she saw a thing on hell week on veterans day. We were showing them some military stuff and she saw a thing on the Navy SEALs going through hell week. So she's like, I want to be the first woman Navy SEAL because I like challenges and it looks hard and you get to stay up late. <laughs> I was like, um, okay, do you know what a Navy SEAL reasons. does? No. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. You know, I mean, that's awesome. But she like, she, she does love the challenges and she is tough as nails when it comes to like, she does Ninja Warrior stuff. But then if I brush her hair, she's screaming bloody murder and like pulling on her head and won't let me do it. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny, but you know what? I look back, I was the exact same way. I could do gymnastics all day. I could have bloody rips on my hands. I could face plan on something and I was fine, but my mom would go to brush my hair and it was like, no, no, don't do that. Let me do it. You know? So it's really, yes, it's a very much uncurated version of myself. Uh, uh, yeah. It's just, the pain uh, you can control versus the pain you can't. Yeah. It's really hard to, to see yourself walking around <laughs> outside of your body. <laughs> yeah, for real. This is, this is a man. She sounds like a force to be reckoned with, but also like <laughs> kind of a baller. So yes, well said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So switching to your husband and his personality, how do you think that the Enneagram and, and being in Enneagram eight, how do you think it influences your marriage? Well, see, I need to figure out which number he is. Uh, cause I, he hasn't taken the test, but I, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he's, he's frustrating to me sometimes. It's so funny. Cause like, we don't, <laughs> we don't really like fight. Like we're not like, I don't know. We don't, we don't go head to head a lot, but when we do get like, like start raising our voices and we're arguing about something almost every single time, about 30 minutes into the argument, we were realizing that we're saying the exact same thing in a different way. And we don't recognize it. We are having full on arguments and we're on the same side. And it's like, what, what, what is going on? But he is just totally different where I'm very like, um, kind of too straight into the point. Like I get my point out there. I'm very much like the journalistic version of, you know, like short and quick and to the point where he like has to vomit eight pages of ideas and thoughts and stuff before he gets to his point. And so I think we just get frustrated with the way in which we get to that point. And that's probably why we're arguing so much about it. So yeah. So he's, he's all about knowledge and information and regurgitating like textbook type volumes of information to me where I'm like, dude, you could have given me the the thesis of that and I'd be good. I just need the like bullet point and I'm on it. (laughs) I'm like that too, though, because once I've made up my mind about something, I'm done talking about it. Mm. And sometimes my husband wants to keep talking about it. And I'm just like, I don't, I cannot, like, I cannot sit still and listen to this anymore because I've already determined the answer in my mind and I'm done with this conversation now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So is your husband pretty withdrawn? Is he uh, pretty introverted? Yeah. I mean, he's kind of, yeah. I mean, he's, but he's also very social when he needs to be. Um, but he's, he's very laid back and easygoing, which also drives me nuts. Cause I could, I'm very competitive and he was a swimmer and I'm like, aren't you competitive? And he's like, Oh, you know, no, I'm not that competitive. You just, you have to find the right kind of incentive for him. It's a very mm. specific incentive. And then he's on it, but otherwise he's just super chill. And sometimes I'm like, you need to get a little more ramped up here. Like you need to be more into this because I'm really into this right now. You need to be more, more excited. And he's like, what? It's fine. I'm excited. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not excited at all. <laughs> oh, it sounds so much like my husband. My husband's like, I'm happy. What? 
like with, you can't see listeners you can't see my face but it's like deadpan and I'm like you don't seem happy and he's like I am don't I look happy so wait what number is he he's a three which is okay. the performer so I think that he can turn it on for other people but with me mm. he doesn't feel like he needs to do that which sometimes I'm like what happened to that guy he was nice <laughs> remember that guy when we were dating right <laughs> remember in the, at the party and then we get in the car and I'm like what what happened <laughs> Um, okay. So how do you think that this difference and similarity, uh, between you two influences your parenting together? Um, it's good because we both tend to take different approaches to how we're like disciplining or talking through things. Like kind of like we were just saying, sometimes he will talk a kid to death, not to death, but like he will like be just saying the same thing over and over again in like 30 different ways so that they understand what he's saying, where I'm just like, dude, you could have told them once they probably got it. But then I see at the same time, they're listening. And sometimes it takes that many times for them to register like what he's saying. So now I find myself sometimes saying it a few extra times and a few different ways to also try to communicate. It's still not as many as he does, but you know, I, I just get to the point where if I hear myself say the same thing over and over again, I, I get bored with myself and I can't hear it anymore. <laughs> you know, So it's kind of funny, but yeah, I think I definitely kind of try to take cues from him, but I know he's also taken cues from me too. And he's seen things that work the way I do it with the kids. And I'll see him saying the same phrases or, you know, kind of doing the same, you know, type of discipline or talking to or, or whatever it is that needs to be done. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that when we can like bounce off of each other and realize that we're both in our, in our respective marriages, when we're both um, bringing really great things to the table, um, which can be really hard for us mm. in the anger triad, because we tend to think that our way is the right way. Um, not just our way is the right way because we want it to be, but because we genuinely think it is. And mm-hmm. sometimes that, uh, that humility can be hard to find. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, having four kids too, with all different personalities and all the situations they get themselves into, like sometimes we realize like maybe my way is better for this situation or his way is better for this particular kid or this situation. So it's kind of like us trying to figure that pattern out too, you know, what's working best for this thing or this person, you know, and kind of taking those cues. So it's, you know, again, you know, trial and error that you just kind of figure out what works and what doesn't, and then go with that, whether it's yours or not, whatever's going to get the kid doing the right thing. That's what you want to do. Cheat the results. Uh, (laughs) Okay. So switching gears a tiny bit, what do you, how do you think that, um, that your, your challenger side, how do you think it influences your real needs as a mom and a wife? Not like, you know, the hashtag self-care needs, but like your real needs for, uh, for peace and rest. Um, I don't think it helps me at all. (laughs) I think I find myself overcommitted and like a bull in a China shop, just trying to get the things done that I need to get done kind of at whatever cost. Um, So yeah, I feel like sometimes there's a lot of cleanup in my wake that I have to go back and fix afterwards. Mm. Sometimes Um, that's probably my, my big issue there is I'm, I'm trying to to do the right things. I say that with air quotes, I'm trying to do all the right things that I think are right to do and that I need to do, or that I've committed to do, whether it's right or not. Um, and then I just kind of have to do cleanup on aisle eight after it's over. And I realized that maybe I left this horrible mess behind me. Um, you know, whether it's issues with the kids or I didn't get to other things. Um, you know, so that's, that tends to be, I think my biggest, uh, it's almost like a self-sabotage, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I do a lot of self-sabotage, mostly unintentionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First yeah. of all, I like what you did there. Uh, clean up on aisle eight. Yes. Uh, 
that was, that was, Oh, I didn't even, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize I did that. Okay. I was wondering, I was like, that was like quite the, the like mom joke that she did. So there. good. I don't even know I'm doing it. How about that? She didn't even have to try. <laughs> Self-confident right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I wanted to circle back because what you said was actually really interesting. So a couple episodes ago, we interviewed, um, Joey <laughs> Shuey, who's an expert Enneagram and parenting uh, person. And she's an Enneagram eight. And she talked about how threes and eights have very similar behaviors. Three, my husband, um, the performer. And so they're both going to run over you to win the race at all costs. The difference is that the three knows they ran over you and the eight doesn't even realize. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. that you are able, like we talked about earlier at the beginning of this interview, you're able to circle back and see the, you know, the rectification that needs to be made or things like that. Um, did that take practice or is that something that you see pretty naturally? You know, I don't know. And I think this is where we sometimes need to be careful on like personality things. Like, I think it's really cool to look at this stuff and realize what qualities you do have and maybe what some of your issues might be that maybe you don't normally recognize. I think these are Mm -hmm. great things to know, but I think I, you know, I look at this stuff and I recognize qualities of myself in every one of these things. And, um, you know, and and so I think we, we need to take kind of some of this with a grain of salt and also say like, I am also a human who is capable of changing and becoming better and recognizing like who I want to be and who I want to become and what I need to do in order to do that. And we have to be like really honest with ourselves, um, and have that self-reflection and say, you know what, I'm not measuring up here, here, and here. Like, I need to work on this. Like, this is something, you know, and even asking God to like open up our eyes or like, what am I, what am I missing? Am I running over people? And I don't even realize it. Like, what am I, what am I doing that's stopping me from being more like you? Like, how do I become more like Jesus in this process? And so I think that kind of humility and vulnerability is the only way you're going to grow. But anybody in any one of these numbers can become anything they want to be in this. If you long for that change and you're praying and you're actively like taking the steps to become a different person, you can become a different person. I'm wildly different than I was 20, 30 years ago, you know? So it's anybody can change, but you have to want to do it. It can't come from your spouse or your kid, like wanting you to change. You have to up and decide to do that and be active every single day, trying to make those changes. It's not going to happen overnight, you know? everything takes time and patience. And in this instant gratification world, it's really, really hard to be patient, but to know that like all those little steps you take, they add up. And like, all of a sudden you have like climbed 20 flights of life growth stairs, you know, in a decade. And so I think it's really important to recognize the small steps that you're making to make those changes. Mm. Girl, I love all of that so much. That was good. Thanks for saying all that. You're welcome. It's like, you know, little counseling session for me. It's good. It's good. It's Laura. We should do this therapy more often. This is good for both of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. Are you cool with moving into some of these closing questions? Sure. Okay. Just for fun. What's the most overtly eight thing about you? Uh, <laughs> um, probably the, either the challenge or the control. I'm not sure which one's more. <laughs> Very much both. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. Uh, okay. What is your favorite and least favorite thing about being an eight? Um, probably the control thing that I, yeah, very, oh. feel like I have to be the puppet master for everything. And I'm just not, I'm not God. And I feel like sometimes I try to be God in this situation. I, I don't like that about myself. Mm. But what about your favorite or is that your favorite too? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think just really like knowing that like, the, I guess that's that kind of weird self-confidence that maybe I shouldn't have, but that that's there that like, if I want to do a thing, I'm going to go do it. Like I just, there's no thought in my mind of like, 
I can't do that just because nobody else has done it. Doesn't mean I can't be the first one to do it. Like that's just never even, that's just always been a thing to me. Like, all right, I want to do that. I'm going to go do it. Like, and so I, I love that because that wasn't, I don't know if that was taught or learned from somebody or if that was just something inside me, but I, I do like that. You're, if I'm going to be a Navy SEAL, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. What there you, you go. About it? There you go. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. What do you wish? So thinking about the adoptive moms, uh, especially the eight adoptive moms listening to this, what do you wish that all of them knew going into adoption? Um, you know, that your kids are not going to be like you, um, but that you can't, you can't control your kids and make them just like you. They, they are their own little person and they're going to make their own decisions and they're going to make terrible decisions and they're going to do things that drive you crazy, but you've got to kind of meet them where they're at and start there, not start, especially in adoption, like not starting where you think they should be, but starting where they are at and kind of really recognizing the trauma that they've come from. And you know what, maybe, maybe your eight-year-old still needs to snuggle mommy like six times a day. And that's okay. Cause maybe mm. they weren't held. And like, I know like my Zoe, she's nine and she still needs mommy snuggles on the daily. Like it just, she needs to just know that I'm there to hold her. And, and we've just learned that like, it, she even, she even laid it out for me one day. She said, mommy, I need at least three snuggles a day. I need one in the morning. I need one in the middle of the day and I need one at night. And I was like, all right, let's do that. And we started doing that. Now she maybe needs one or two, but like, she just needs to know that I'm there to do that. And I've told her like, you just let me know. Like, if that's what you need, you let me know. Like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Like, <laughs> recognizing your own needs, making it happen. Yes. Um, okay. So on, on this side of adoption, you know, moms that are really just struggling or they just need some advice or, or encouragement for maybe marrying those two things. Like they're an eight, they're a challenger. They're having, they have kids that are maybe, you know, they're dealing with trauma that as a challenger, you want to fix it and you just can't, it's a waiting game. Mm-hmm. You know, what advice would you have for them? Um, you know, that, that just like, we're not in control and it's, it's so hard to let go of the fact that we don't have really control. We have this like facade that we have control over everything, but we don't, you know, but God does. And we can always go to him with our biggest worries and our biggest struggles and be like, I, I don't got it. Like you got it. And I need to trust you that you have it. And like, give me peace in this moment and like walk me through the steps of what I can do for my child. And knowing that you're, you're probably not going to fix the trauma, but you can be there to help them walk through it. And that is just as, if not more important than fixing it because that trauma and those things that they come from also makes them the person they're going to become. You just need to help them navigate that and walk through that in a healthy way so that they can learn to love and be loved and, and be, you know, thriving human beings to the best of their capability. Like that's, that's your job, you know, not to change them, not to fix them or or whatever. Like they're, they're beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. They've just been through some junk and, and God's going to heal their heart and he's going to use you to do it. So be his vessel, not the puppet master. Ooh, girl, that was good. Like that last, (laughs) all of it. I am going to really have a hard time picking like a pull quote to, to feature for this episode. Sweet. I need that like on a t-shirt. Here's a challenge not a, accepted. <laughs> a vessel, not a puppet master. I love that. Okay. Um, so listen, we, Laura and I are about to go have a fun conversation for Patreon supporters, but for everyone else, Laura, where can we find you and follow along until the next Olympics? Um, so laurawilkinson.com is kind of home based. You can find all my socials from there. I'm really on Instagram a lot. I'm Lala the diver. I finally got a blue check mark. So y'all I'm official now. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, Instagram. Um, I love Instagram and, and my website has all, all my details and all that good stuff.
And you have courses and uh, a podcast too for other athletes as well, right? I do. I have a couple of freebies on the website, a free fear challenge. If that's something you deal with uh, strategies for confidence and a course to work on your mental game. Um, but yes, I also have a podcast called the pursuit of gold, which I absolutely love. I talk to athletes and experts and coaches on how to help athletes kind of break through that at next level. And I have to tell you my oldest daughter, my, my other little eight, she, um, she interviewed me this week. So that was a really fun one. Um, yeah. To kind of see what she uh, wanted to ask me. And I got to ask her a few questions too. So that was pretty cool. So fun. Well, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. And until next time, thank you so much, Laura. This was really fun. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the Adoptive Mom Podcast.com. Thanks for joining us.